Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the work that we see you doing, even though we live in a world that is sinful, that we see being put on full display each and every day, Lord. But you have chosen us to be your church, your light. I pray that we can be used to share our faith with others so they can come to a saving faith for all of eternity through the work of Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Elizabeth Keckley was a slave. She lived in the state of Missouri before the Civil War, and there's one thing that she wanted more than anything for her and her son, and that was her freedom. She was a gifted seamstress. In fact, she had very wealthy clientele. So when she went to her slave owner, her master, and asked for her freedom, her master said, yeah, you can have your freedom, but you're going to have to give me 12 hundred dollars adjusted for inflation back then that's a lot of money essentially she had to buy her freedom with money money she didn't have because as a slave she didn't get paid all that well fortunately for her she was a very talented seamstress so she decided to ask her slave owner hey can I go to New York City where the real money is for me to make from doing my dressmaking, and I can pay you the $1,200. Being that her master and her lived in Missouri at the time, he refused because he was afraid that she wasn't going to come back. She was fortunate because her wealthy clientele decided to chip in on her behalf and come up with the $1,200 to purchase and secure her freedom. She ended up moving with her son, and she ended up in Washington, D.C., where Mary Lincoln herself, Abraham Lincoln's wife, the first lady, became one of her clients. It's just amazing, isn't it? It's amazing where the Lord can take us and where we end up. But if it wasn't for those wealthy clientele or clients of hers, she would have never made it. She would have never been able to secure her freedom. She wouldn't have been able to do it on her own if she would have remained in Missouri. Without the help of others, Keckley could have never been able to purchase her freedom. Brothers and sisters, we too were enslaved to sin. But in God's mercy... In God's compassion, he worked as Jesus on the cross to reveal his grace to us. Therefore, no one, I mean absolutely no one, can take credit for the work of Jesus. We owe everything to the Lord. Kind of like how Elizabeth Keckley owed a lot. To her wealthy clientele. And all of this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. 
God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. Today we finish the book of Jonah. I know on your screen there's a typo. It says Jonah 4, 1 through 10. We're actually looking at all of Jonah. We're not going to leave off that 11th verse. We're actually going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 this morning, wrapping up what we see happening here in the book of Jonah. Last time, we had a little break last week. We had Easter Sunday, but two Sundays ago, we were encouraged to know that God is a God of mercy, which he reserves for hearts that repent. God's mercy, in a nutshell, is only for hearts that actually repent. Today, we're going to be encouraged too. Encouraged in the fact that God is a God of not only mercy, but He is a God of grace. Grace in which our protagonist, Jonah, seems to struggle to share with others. So without any more being said about any of this, let's get into our text this morning. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till till he should see that would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Amen. These verses comprised into our main idea, this sentence looks like this, and it states, God's compassion and mercy are revealed in His grace. God's compassion and mercy is actually revealed in His grace, and that's what we're seeing here as we end Jonah in chapter 4. God's grace is revealed, His compassion and His mercy, so we say God's compassion and mercy are revealed in His grace. As we start off by looking at verses 1 through 4, what displeased Jonah? What is it that he's so upset about? Why is he so angry here? And quite simply, we see where it says at the end of chapter 3, verse 10, I'm going to read this for you, not going to be on your screen. It said, When God saw what they did, 
how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. See, as God turns away from His anger at the end of chapter 3 of Jonah, we see Jonah turn towards his own anger. Jonah's attitude is depressingly ugly. He was happy to preach destruction. He was more than happy, shall we say, to preach destruction to Nineveh, all while disliking the result of repentance. See, it's one thing to complain. It's one thing to say, why, God? Why would you let this happen to me? It's one thing to complain like that. Our protagonist, Jonah, though, he took it one step further, didn't he? See, he knew God would be gracious. He knew God would be merciful. He knew that God, as it says here in our text, would be, what, slow to anger. He knew all of these things. So when God was gracious, when He was merciful, when He was slow to anger against the Ninevites, what was Jonah's attitude? How did Jonah respond? Right here in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please, what does he say? Take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah would rather die, now get this, Jonah would rather die than see God's grace in action. Jonah would rather die than see God's mercy in action. Jonah would rather die than to see God not get angry with the Ninevites. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of someone who refuses to evangelize. Now, that word evangelize, we, we need to explain that word because some of us know it, some of us do not know it, but the word is defined like this. To evangelize is to quite simply share your faith with somebody else. So when we evangelize, we're sharing Christ and Him crucified so others can receive eternal life. Jonah was a crummy evangelist. This is the heart of anger. This is the heart of racism. Wait, I just said that, didn't I? No, it is. Racism isn't something new. This is the heart of racism. Now, let me give you this one caveat before we go any further about racism. Because it is most definitely a hot-button topic in today's age, in our culture. But there's only one race. One race. The human race. So, if there's only one race, why do we see different colors? Well, we're still the same race. God has chosen the DNA, the genetic pattern, the code that he created to be what it is. He can do whatever he wants. He can start with Adam and Eve in the garden and have those two people produce what we see today because of DNA and how God programmed it. And ultimately, racism today is all about unity. Right? Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry. We've hijacked racism 
to create a false sense of what we think unity is. No, see, God is allowing all that to happen. So when he returns one day, he will show that unity is only found in him and him alone. That's what's really going on here. Because the world's attempts to unify will always fail. Unity will never be achieved until Jesus returns. But we see racism right here in the text with Jonah this morning. See, we see Jonah the Hebrew versus Nineveh the pagans. And that's really Jonah's problem. He's racist against the pagans. Elizabeth Keckley, the slave, versus the slave owner. Where'd that $1,200 come from? Brothers and sisters, where'd grace and mercy come from? Who is slow to anger, is abounding in steadfast love? Who? The Lord. So in verses 5 and 6, now the Ninevites repent and Jonah isolates. Jonah went out of the city and made a booth for himself. That strikes me, though, of how wretched his heart was. He preaches destruction. Repentance happens. And what does he do? He vacates. He doesn't want to stick around for the celebration of the repentance. I don't know about you, but a true evangelist in their heart would preach repentance, see repentance, see somebody turn towards the Lord and then want to celebrate with them. As a church, wouldn't we want to celebrate? How do we do that when we see somebody come to a saving faith in Christ? What do we do? We celebrate through baptism because that's a public display of what happened in their heart. What does Jonah do? He leaves. He doesn't want to be around for the celebration. He leaves and makes a booth. This booth was to provide shade for himself, and this booth was produced to provide protection for himself. While Jonah should have, see, what does it say here? While Jonah should see what would become of the city, that's when he goes and do this. So apparently, Jonah had inadequate building materials when he made this booth because. What do we see God do? It says God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah to save him from his discomfort. Jonah didn't even have all the materials necessary to keep himself comfortable. Again, we observe God's grace and God's mercy in action. The same grace and mercy that Jonah does not want to see in action, God brings to him no matter where he's at, just like he prevented him from going to Tarshish and made him end up in Nineveh. Just like God still used him to preach destruction, to bring repentance from the Ninevites, despite Jonah not being willing to do it. God still worked through him. Now notice what God's grace and mercy did for Jonah. What does it do? He became what? Exceedingly glad because of what? A plant? He should be exceedingly glad because of the repentance. Brothers and sisters, we should be exceedingly glad too. We should be exceedingly glad for the gospel of grace. We should be exceedingly glad for the gospel of mercy. We should be exceedingly glad for Christ's work on the cross. We should celebrate others who become exceedingly glad because of that as well, because of what they know that means for their salvation. And what do we see from our protagonist here, Jonah? He's not happy about that. He's happy because a plant gave him protection and shade. He's more glad for the temporary than he is for the eternal. 
And this is abundantly clear in verses 7 through 9. Because God had to teach Jonah a lesson about his grace and mercy. It says, He appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. He appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And now Jonah goes from being exceedingly glad to what? what did, he transitions again, doesn't he? He goes from being glad about the plant to now going back to his original request from the Lord. And what is that? He wants to die again. Again, this is the heart of someone who refuses to evangelize. Just like Elizabeth Keckley was gifted $1,200 for her freedom, Jonah was gifted a plant. He didn't make it grow. He didn't make it go away. The plant came from God. It was not earned by Jonah. Remember when we began the book of Jonah in chapter 1? Do you remember one of the encouragements that we said? Look for the gospel parallels. Look for the gospel here in the book of Jonah. Just like our salvation came from God, salvation is something that cannot be earned. I love the consistency throughout the Bible. God is so consistent with his. God had to teach Jonah this lesson because Jonah cared more about this plant than he did the salvation of others. This is why God asked him this question. What did he ask him? He said, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And what is Jonah's response? He says, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to what? Die. In verses 10 through 11, Jonah's heart is exposed completely. His unwillingness to evangelize, his unwillingness to share his faith has been exposed by a simple plant. God used a plant to expose the heart of Jonah. A simple plant of temporary protection. Hmm. I don't know about you. But the older I get, the more I learn about what is temporary. The more I see things as being just that, temporary. He cared more about a temporary plant providing temporary protection. Now, if you want to know the truth, this convicts me. One thing... I'm thinking about as I'm seeing this account of Jonah, I'm thinking to myself, hmm, what temporary plants of protection do I have in my life that prevent evangelism? What about you? Do you have some temporary plants of protection? Do you have your go-tos in life to make you feel comfortable? Do you seek shelter rather than getting out there and sharing your faith? So as Joe comes up and we close out this magnificent account, historical account at that from the prophet Jonah, I think really we recognize six consequences 
for refusing to evangelize. I, I believe we see six consequences from taking shelter under temporary plants of protection in our lives because we see it happen with Jonah. And, and the first consequence is isolation. See, Jonah fled to Tarshish, and then he fled Ninevite repentance. He was fleeing. He was isolating himself throughout this entire book. The second thing that we see through Jonah that I think we all are guilty of ourselves is we see some self-justification. See, in the original Hebrew that this book was actually written, the word I, me, or my, and we're talking four chapters, occurs nine times. Nine times Jonah says, I, me, or my. Now, the third consequence of refusing to evangelize would be accusations. We accuse others. It's somebody else's fault now, isn't it? It's somebody else's fault that I can't do this, that, or the third. But where do we get this from? Oh, that's right, Jonah. And who does he accuse? Who does Jonah accuse? Whose fault is it according to Jonah? According to Jonah, it's God's fault. He blames God. The fourth would be irrational behavior. Jonah is completely irrational throughout this whole account. I mean, it doesn't get more irrational than wanting to die rather than to see God's grace and mercy. Somebody would say to you, hey, do you want to see God's grace and mercy? And you're going to say, no, I'd rather die. That's what Jonah's saying. The fifth consequence would be foolishness. Jonah attempts to build a shelter out of nothing. He's a fool. And we know it was out of nothing because God had to make a plant grow overnight that gave the shade and protection that Jonah was seeking. And Jonah never said that he was glad about what he created. He was glad for what the Lord did. A fool thinks that he can create his own protection and seek protection outside of the Lord. And six, and our final consequence for refusing to evangelize would be narrow-mindedness. Jonah was very narrow-minded. Jonah cared more about a plant than the salvation of the Ninevites. All I can say about that is this. I've cared more about a plant than I have salvation at times. Have you? And the reason why I'm okay with saying that, not because I want to stay in a perpetual state of being there. No, that's not where I'm going with this. I hope that I'm growing in the Lord and I'm getting better with the opportunities that He provides for evangelism. But the reason why I'm okay with saying this is because thank goodness for God's amazing grace. Thank goodness for the grace and mercy and compassion that he showed to the Ninevites. Thank goodness for the grace, mercy, and compassion that he has shown us through the person and work 
of Jesus. And that's the reason why this morning we summed everything up into this one sentence that stated this. God's compassion and mercy are revealed in His grace. Grace is a gift. Just like Elizabeth Keckley received that $1,200 gift that sent her all the way to Washington, D.C. to be the seamstress for Mary Lincoln, the First Lady of the United States herself, is the same grace that God extends us, something that we can't earn, so we can receive eternal life and be in a forever relationship with the Lord. Church, Our job is to share that message with others. If not, we suffer these six consequences to our refusal to evangelize and share the good news about the person and work of Jesus Christ for hell-deserving sinners. Because at the end of the day, on our own, that's all we deserve. But because of God and His righteousness being extended to us through the person of Jesus, we won't see that reality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to ask for us to be a church that shares you and your gospel. Our prayer is to be used to use the gifts that you have given us through your spirit to be guided by him and are so doing. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. You do not have to leave. You are more than welcome to hang out and fellowship for a while, but you are most definitely dismissed. sin. Again, that's the reason why the gospel message is resonating with me is because I know that. And I long for the day that that is no longer the case. I long for the day. See, an empty cross is the spoiler. It spoils the ending. An empty cross tells us that Jesus will fight. It tells us that Jesus will rule. It tells us that Jesus will judge and that He will conquer every opponent, even death itself. Until then, God has put all things, as it says, in subjection under His feet. Everything outside of God Himself, that is, in subjection under His feet. As Joe comes up and we wrap up this morning, brothers and sisters, the Redeemer has redeemed for the redemption of His kingdom. A kingdom within a created heavens and a created earth. A kingdom that will last a long time. Isn't that amazing? See, 
We know this is true from Luke chapter 1, verse 33, where God's word tells us, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Can you imagine living in a redeemed environment alongside redeemed humanity? Brothers and sisters, all outside of Christ, all we've ever known is sin. Outside of Christ, all we've ever known is sin. Every relationship that we have, we have to battle through that. But because we know Christ, we can. Because we know Christ, as we studied in Sunday school class this morning, we can find contentment that was found in encouragement in Philippians chapter 4 from Paul. But to live alongside humanity without having to deal with sin, I have no idea what to expect. But from what I know of the Lord, I know it's going to be great. However, it's because of Christ that we'll never know death, and that's what we have to remember. It's because of Christ that we will never know death. Now, that's why an empty cross. An empty cross because of what we stated in our main idea. Because Jesus is the resurrected Redeemer who redeemed for the redemption of His kingdom. He wants to be in relationship with us. That's what we celebrate on Resurrected Sunday. The fact that we have a future forever relationship with our Lord and Savior because of His work. And every time we see a cross, we understand that it's empty, representing that He has done what He said He was going to do. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer as a church is simple. We just want to share the good news. We want to share you with others. I pray that we can encourage each other through our fellowship, through our studying of your word to share our faith in you with those who do not know you so they can be in a forever relationship with you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus because his work has made this prayer and all of our prayers possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.